One thing that has become incredibly apparent is that, especially when we look in the medical domain, so much research is conducted and so much data is collected only from the male body, only from male individuals. I think there was even in the UK this famous example of a healthcare app where they collected data from, I think, military bases around the world which had the benefit that it were rather controlled environments because food was controlled and so on and so forth. But we all know that percentage of females in the military force is rather limited. I thought it was something like 6%. And here the problem with this health app was that when male users of this app experienced chest pain in the left chest and, I don't know, some numbness in the left arm, then the app alarmed him to immediately go to the emergency room and see a doctor because the risk of a heart attack. With females experiencing same or similar symptoms, the recommendation was more like, well, yes, maybe you have a migraine, maybe it's going to disappear if it continues to bother you for the next few days, maybe go see a doctor, something like that. And this, of course, can be life-threatening. But the learning we have here from seeing all of these examples in bias is really we need to change how we collect data, how we conduct research, that we also take females more into account. And there are many other examples that I can think of. but. Definitely, it's a two-way street. So looking that closely into bias, I mentioned is something we as humanity haven't done before. And there's definitely so much to learn and discover, which hopefully can be taken back in the non-AI world to also help us to be more equal and more fair in our actions there. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace and beyond. In a 2019 article for the Stanford Social Innovation Review entitled When Good Algorithms Go Sexist, Why and How to Advance AI Gender Equity, Co-author Genevieve Smith shares how she and her husband applied for the same credit card. And despite having a slightly better credit score and the same income, expenses and debt as her husband, the credit card company set her credit limit at almost half the amount. Customer service employees were unable to explain why the algorithm deemed Genevieve significantly less credit worthy. What most likely happened in Genevieve's case is that artificial intelligence is to blame. In her article, Genevieve shares how many institutions make decisions based on artificial intelligence systems using machine learning, whereby a series of algorithms takes and learns from massive amounts of data to find patterns and make predictions. Yet gender bias in these systems is pervasive and it has hugely negative impacts on women's short and long-term psychological, economic, and health security. So is AI inherently sexist, or are we building AI with some of the biases that we're still struggling to root out of our human interactions? And is a lack of diversity in the innovation process translating into some of the technology? You'll all be well aware that tech as an industry is dominated by male leadership, and that's particularly the case in the world of AI. In fact, a recent report from the Turner Group determined that women make up only 22% or less of professionals in AI and data. And in 2018, Wired, along with Elemental AI, estimated that only 12% of leading machine learning researchers were women. But there are some notable exceptions, one of whom is Alexandra Ebert. 
She's an AI synthetic data and privacy expert and a pioneer for responsible AI. As Chief Trust Officer of Mostly AI, a European synthetic data scale-up, Alexandra advises and works with regulators on public policy issues around the emerging fields of AI, data innovation, privacy and synthetic data. Most recently, Alexandra was asked by the European Parliament to provide her expertise on strengthening the ethical AI obligations of the upcoming AI Act. Alexandra is also an active AI fairness advocate, doing really important work contributing towards an effective legal framework and solutions for achieving AI fairness in practice. So on today's episode, Alexandra is going to share with us what AI is and how it will impact our jobs, but why we don't need to be scared of it. So if your brain, like mine, has conjured up images of the Terminator, or perhaps even a slightly less 1980s reference, then we can breathe a sigh of relief. And importantly, Alexandra is also going to tell us why we need to manage AI carefully to ensure equitable outcomes and so as not to exacerbate or perpetuate existing gender and other inequalities. AI is a term that's floating around everywhere and there's really a difference in understanding from the technical experts to politicians to people in the broad public and to Hollywood, which is painting this kind of more science fiction AI is going to take over the world picture. In reality, what we have now falls more in the area or the realm of narrow artificial intelligence, meaning machine learning algorithms, computer algorithms that have some capability of independently learning something and then giving you a prediction or a classification. For example, a machine learning algorithm could tell you this person is 80% likely to repay the credit that you landed this person or something like that. What we don't yet have is general artificial intelligence. And this is more what you might know from the Hollywood movies, where there is this immensely powerful algorithm that can do everything just like humans can and can really transfer knowledge and capabilities from one area. For example, I don't know, conducting interviews like we are doing here to teaching history, to painting pictures, to, I don't know, telling you how you should route your traffic and many, many more things. This is very far away. So we don't have to worry about general artificial intelligence now. What we do have to worry about is that today the public discourse is more about the science fiction artificial intelligence, which is distracting from the problems that we have now, which is super real, like bias and discrimination in artificial intelligence. It's so important that we are not scared. It's so important that we look at what AI is today. What are the things that are beneficial, which have enormous potential for us as a society and thinking of applying AI to healthcare and identifying new ways of curing cancer, curing Alzheimer's disease. There's so much potential and a few areas that need our attention. And I think this fear is just distracting from the areas that need attention today. And therefore, I would advocate to not looking into AI with fearful eyes and just waiting on the science fiction scenario. After all, it's us humans shaping this technology. And there's so much effort going on at the moment on a global level, on a European level, on UK and the United States to really make what is called responsible, trustworthy or ethical AI where the human is first and foremost, where the human is the person that's front and center of everything that AI is doing and where really the overall goal is to have AI that serves us as humanity and not that is taking over areas of our life that we don't want to take it over. So it's important that we get away from this. We can't help ourselves 
AI is going to become a godlike instance and we just have to follow suit. We are building this technology. We are deciding the rules. And it's important that we all are in public discourse on in which direction this should go and what we want as a society and what the areas are that we don't want AI to interfere with. Bias exists in AI because AI is created by humans who are themselves biased. Who makes decisions in forming AI systems and who's on the team developing AI systems shapes the system's development. AI is built and maintained by data, and if data collected only represents the view of one type of individual or overly weights the importance of this information, then the decisions AI makes will reinforce this inequity. The challenge with bias in AI is actually representative of a larger problem, the gender digital gap. For example, around 300 million fewer women than men access the internet on mobile phones. And women in low and middle income countries are 20% less likely than men to own a smartphone. And these technologies generate data about their users. So the fact that women have less access to smartphones inherently skews data sets. In Genevieve's case, when AI systems that determine creditworthiness learn from historical data, they pick up on patterns of women receiving lower credit limits than men. They reproduce the same inequitable access to credit along gender and race lines, as seen in Genevieve's case. Here, Alexandra shares more on why AI is biased. AI is ubiquitous, so there are so many areas where AI will support us in doing our jobs faster, more efficient, and taking time out of cumbersome tasks that we actually don't want to spend time on so that we can spend more time on what we actually want to engage with and also where our strengths are in the workplace. I mean, one big topic when it comes to fighting bias in AI and making sure that algorithms perform fairly and treat people equally already starts with hiring. We have these famous examples. Amazon had quite some negative press about this when they decided that with the thousands of applicants that they have per year, it would be helpful to have an algorithm to decide which one to invite to an interview and which not. But since they trained these algorithms on historic data, what the algorithm learned was that as soon as it's a mid or senior management position, potentially female candidates are not that suitable for the job because the algorithm hasn't seen that many examples. And this was the conclusion the algorithm made. And therefore, the result would have been that the algorithm would not send any females to management position interviews, which of course is something that you don't want to have. So they quite quickly shut this algorithm off and decided, well, that's not the technology that we want to use as of now, at least not if we have this bias fixed. So this is one of the first examples that comes to my mind. One thing I think that's also important to demystify is that it's not the bad AI that's inherently biased and wants evil for us as humanity. It's us humans that have always exhibited certain biases and discriminatory behavior against certain gender groups, minority groups, and so on and so forth. So one area where bias creeps in is definitely the training data. Here, as I just explained with the Amazon example, it could be that you have historic biases in there, that just in the last decades, there was no equality between female leaders and male leaders. But it could also be insufficient training data so that there in the real world would be enough examples to learn from, but this data was just not collected. A famous example here of facial recognition systems. Researcher Joy Bulamovini made this discovery when she joined MIT, a research group there, that the facial recognition systems from all the big tech brands 
performed superbly for faces of white or Caucasian females and males, but didn't work for black males and didn't at all work properly for black female faces. The problem here was that the data sets that you have available to train the systems are oftentimes so-called gold standard celebrity data sets because of copyright reasons and privacy reasons. With When you want to use images, celebrities are a great source to go to. And if we look to Hollywood or also the celebrity scene in the UK, then there is a higher percentage of white people with blonde hair and so on and so forth, which not at all reflects the distribution we have in the real world. And if you use this skewed data set to train an algorithm, it will work superbly for the examples where you saw examples, but it would not work for minority groups of the data set who in fact could be majority groups in the real world. So it's really important already when you collect the data that you make sure that it already has all the examples in there that you need. But it doesn't stop with the data. It's also the diversity in teams. We still have only, I think, under 22% of females in the global AI workforce and even less, I think, 6% of Asians and Black people. So there's really some area of improvement to increase this diversity from ethnicity standpoints, from cultural standpoints, religious standpoints, political standpoints, sexual orientation standpoints, because only if we have a more diverse workforce, we will have set the basis to make AI as fair and as equal as we want it to be. But it's not only the data scientists, so it really has to be the whole organization. It can't only be a data scientist deciding the whole fate and the whole fairness of an algorithm, because fairness itself is a concept that's terribly hard to define. And therefore, I think it's so important that we have a public discourse about what do we actually consider fair, in which direction should it go, because everybody would sign off to say algorithms should be fair. But if we go into more detailed discussions, you suddenly learn that many people have a fundamentally different understanding of fairness. And I think with artificial intelligence, the one challenge is to align these understandings of which fairness definition do you actually want to use. But also the potential is that you have to have a discussion on equality and fairness unlike we ever had before as a society. And once we have this discussion, once we come to our mutual understanding of fairness, we can put it into a mathematical fairness definition that can be used by algorithms and hopefully have a world where we have even more fairness and equality as opposed to just humans deciding with their inherited biases. In January this year, Data Robot, in collaboration with the World Economic Forum and global academic leaders, published the State of AI Bias Report. And they found that 81% of the respondents to this report said they wanted more regulation to prevent the risk of AI bias. Historically, the law has struggled to keep up with the pace of technological change. But as AI becomes increasingly ubiquitous, there's a real focus in many countries on ensuring appropriate regulation is in place. And that's particularly important where the AI in question poses a high risk to the health and safety or fundamental rights of individuals. The European Union's regulatory approach here is to say that the higher the risk, the stricter the rules need to be. Luckily, there's already lots of regulation in place. So the UK is building up their AI assurance ecosystem where there can be some things like bias audits and so on and so forth. Also, the European Union is currently drafting their AI Act, which will be the worldwide's first comprehensive AI legislation, where there's also a big emphasis on ethical aspects. 
But the risk is that we would perpetuate historical biases or even potentially amplify those. So just think of, we have this famous example in the United States from the compass algorithm, which was used as an additional measure to inform the judge on whether it's advisable to have a person be allowed to pay bail or have to stay until the, the decision is made in front of a court. And there it was identified by ProPublica that this algorithm was heavily biased against black-skinned individuals and concluded that those should stay captivated longer than white counterparts because the algorithm concluded that the likelihood of recommitting a crime would be higher. So if we don't fix bias in artificial intelligence, it can have severe impact on a person's freedom, access to credit, access to employment, access to education, and many other things. And I think this is really something that's currently better understood and already being tackled, but it's still missing that the general public is brought up to speed and is brought in a position where they can participate in this debate and deciding on in which direction do we want to go with artificial intelligence in regards to fairness. In Genevieve's article, she shares many of the negative consequences of bias in AI particularly for women and non-binary individuals. For example, women and non-binary individuals are much more likely to receive lower quality of service. If we look at voice recognition systems as an example of this, which are increasingly used in automotive and healthcare industries, they often perform worse for women. In addition to this, women are much more likely to receive unfair allocation of resources, information and opportunities. A good example of this is 61.5% of the systems identified as being gender biased, including hiring software and advertising systems, deprioritize women's applications. Recognizing the negative impacts is one thing, but managing them is something else altogether. Here, Alexandra shares what we can do to tackle bias in AI. One thing that has become incredibly apparent is that, especially when we look in the medical domain, so much research is conducted and so much data is collected only from the male body, only from male individuals. I think there was even in the UK this famous example of a healthcare app where they collected data from, I think, military bases around the world, which had the benefit that it were rather controlled environments because food was controlled and so on and so forth. But we all know that percentage of females in the military force is rather limited. I thought it was something like 6%. And here the problem with this health app was that when male user of this app experienced chest pain in the left chest and, I don't know, some numbness in the left arm, then the app alarmed him to immediately go to the emergency room and see a doctor because the risk of a heart attack. With females experiencing same or similar symptoms, the recommendation was more like, well, yes, maybe you have a migraine, maybe it's going to disappear if it continues to bother you for the next few days, maybe go see a doctor, something like that. And this, of course, can be life-threatening. But the learning we have here from seeing all of these examples in bias is really we need to change how we collect data, how we conduct research, that we also take females more into account. And there are many other examples that I can think of. But Definitely, it's a two-way street. So looking that closely into bias, I mentioned, is something we as humanity haven't done before. And there's definitely so much to learn and discover, which hopefully can be taken back in the non-AI world to also help us to be more equal and more fair in our actions there. So this is one of the research we are doing at Mostly AI with synthetic data and fair synthetic data. 
Synthetic data is an anonymization technology that helps you to transform an existing data set, for example, financial transactions, into a fully anonymous synthetic artificial version of the data, which doesn't have any real privacy-sensitive information, but still the statistics, the insights are the same from the original. So you would still be able to learn that persons that go to McDonald's seven times a week and smoke 20 cigarettes a day have a higher risk of cancer and even more granular things. And in the past three years, we've also focused on synthetic data and fair synthetic data for AI fairness, because one of the biggest challenges when you talk to AI practitioners dealing with fairness is that they actually have a really hard time to even know whether their systems exhibit any bias or not because of regulatory conditions where they're not allowed to even see sensitive attributes. I mean, in the EU, it's a little bit different to the US where sensitive attributes like uh, gender, race, ethnicity, are more readily collected. But in many cases, you can't use this data to know whether your system is discriminating against certain groups. With synthetic data, you can use this information in a privacy-safe form and make sure that already when you build the algorithm, you ensure color blindness or ethnicity blindness, gender blindness, and so on and so forth. But what is even more interesting is that you can use this technology to get help from external partners who have more expertise. Because if you look into the AI landscape, we all know about this talent shortage. AI is a quite difficult topic, but still it's an ambition of the UK, of the European Union, and basically any major player in the Western world to become a leader in artificial intelligence, to upskill the workforce and to have more people building, developing and using this stuff. And how this is going to play out quite likely is that we will not have 100% AI experts among everybody in the workforce, but we will have tools, building blocks provided by big tech players, which you can patch together to build your AI solutions. And this means that there will be people developing and dealing with AI, which might not have the deepest AI expertise and for sure not the deepest AI fairness expertise. And therefore, it's so crucially important what also the UK is currently doing to build up this AI assurance ecosystem where you can have certifications, audits, external people who help you to build your algorithm properly and to validate it. And this doesn't work if you can only share the model that you build, you need to share data. And this is something where synthetic data can get in. So quite a few examples. And maybe since you also asked for a positive example, there's definitely room where AI can help us to be even fairer than we've been before. So for example, one of my podcast guests on the Data Democratization podcast told me, he's a VC investor, that they found that with their investments, they had a quite strong focus on certain regions of the world because of biases or challenges in understanding startup founders with heavy accents. And they started deploying artificial intelligence to kind of more objectively vet businesses and what's actually going on to make a recommendation whether you should invest or not. And this actually improved diversity a lot because people that didn't have the perfect English speaking skills or presentation skills, but had a wonderful business idea, were considered and received investment. So I think there are definitely some areas where AI can help us. You know, I really believe that an inclusive culture doesn't just happen. It requires deliberate action and nurturing on an ongoing basis. And usually that action, that nurturing is aimed at encouraging the right values and human behaviours of the individuals employed in the organisation. But if you think about it, the AI built into your workplace ecosystem 
is part of your organizational culture, just like those human employees. So if AI and automation aren't developed and applied in an inclusive way, they're quite likely to reproduce and reinforce existing inequalities and even discriminatory social norms. That's why it's so important for any organization to actively manage the technologies in its ecosystem to ensure that they represent the best interests and meet the diverse needs of the different groups of people that they serve. I think the very first step every organization should take is actually talking about and thinking about ethical and fairness issues of artificial intelligence. And you shouldn't start only when you are a data scientist in your closed off room in front of your laptop to think about something like that. But already prior to developing a product, prior to developing the algorithm, questioning, should we actually develop this AI technology or are there some ethical concerns that should keep us from proceeding? AI fairness, AI ethics have to be thought and done from the beginning right through the end of the deployment phase and monitored also during the whole life cycle. So a few recommendations for organizations that have worked well in the past is to, for example, form an AI ethics board within the company where they have stakeholders from different groups of the company with hopefully as diverse backgrounds as possible which are involved in the product or algorithm development process quite early on and could also act as a kind of challenger to data scientists who sometimes have a rather technical perspective and help them to see certain issues and how they could be mitigated. With actually getting bias out of the system, this is an emerging field. There are some tools out there, but it's still something that the industries have to figure out how to do and which services to use. So this is still a developing area, but there are already a few tools out there, mainly on big platforms that help you with detecting and also mitigating buyers. And we, with our synthetic data, are also trying to do our part to help you either assess buyers or with the concept of fair synthetic data, eliminate historical biases and, for example, create a data set that doesn't reflect the original training data, but reflects the world as you would like to see it, for example, with an eliminated gender pay gap so that any algorithm trained on that fair synthetic data ends up being fair in, I don't know, salary predictions or recommendations for female versus male counterparts and so on and so forth. But it's an evolving field. It's super exciting what's currently going on. And I think the most important part is really awareness going into the discourse and trying to think of the consequences that your development could have and what changes you should might take now and before you deploy this product. There's an HBR article called Four Ways to Address Gender Bias in AI, and it outlines practical steps that companies can take to make AI more equitable. Specifically, the article states that anyone working with AI should consider taking the following actions. Ensure diversity in the data samples. Ensure diverse representation for people working on AI. Encourage machine learning teams to measure accuracy levels separately for different demographic categories and to identify when one category is being treated unfairly. And solve for unfairness by collecting more data associated with different groups to help AI better spot and mitigate bias. So these are just some of the articles that might help mitigate bias. But the key takeaway is that managing fairness in AI is an ongoing practice just like it is for us as humans. Bias that exists in the world is easily replicated in the AI we create, which is why it's going to take ongoing effort and focus to identify, manage and mitigate. 
Just one thing before you go, if you love our podcast and you want to support our work, then please hit subscribe now wherever you get your podcast and leave a review. If you're interested in partnering with us or maybe even being a guest on the show, then you can reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.